Can you organise me a lectern? Good morning, everybody, and especially a welcome to anyone who's visiting. For those of you who haven't been here the last month or so, um, a bunch of us have been working our way through this um, wonderful book of Philippians. Thank you. I'm after after 51 years of university lecturing. I still need a lectern, you see, just for security. <laughs> I, as I was sitting uh, there and enjoying the wonderful music, thank you, worship team. I was reminded that I've actually been a Christian uh, for 55 years. I, well, it's not, we'll, we'll, we'll come to that later. But <laughs> the neat thing was that I, I came to faith uh, in my second year at university, largely through Tertiary Students Christian Fellowship, and we have Ben Carswell, who's now the chief banana in that, but what influenced my early life was very much the Scripture Union movement. And my late wife and I ran what were then called Crusader camps at Titarangi Bay in the Marlborough Sounds for about five years. And then when she passed away, I had five years, and then Stuart Salisbury, who was the head charang of Scripture Union in those days, invited me down to do the Bible studies. And God has a plan in everything because when I was there, there was a beautiful camp director with, with blonde hair who's now my wife. So Penelope, I, that's where I met Penelope at a script union camp. But personal issues aside, the one thing that, that, or the two things that script union taught me about scripture, and this is very important when we look at our, at our passages today, the first, the first rule is what did the passage mean to the people who heard it. What did it mean in its context? And Rob is, Rob's a genius at doing this, the way he explains this to us. And then secondly, having looked at that, what is the challenge for us? And that's what we do as Christians every Sunday. So let me just pray that old prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Thank you, those of you who have gone before uh, me. I don't mean you've passed on, but <laughs> who've gone before, and we've had the most wonderful, uh, riveting messages. I just want to look at two things in chapter three of Philippians. I've called it rubbish tip faith. You can hold on to that for the second thing that I want to get on to. The first thing is, is um, Philippians 2. Um, I don't have a clicker, but that's all right. Just slide it on to the next slide. Philippians part one, Philippians three, and it talks about the challenges to our faith and how do we know what is true and who's challenging us? And Paul says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and take pride in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, notice that here Paul is not just talking about any evildoers, you know, people who commit all sorts of horrible things. He's talking about the people who pervert the truth. And as the people who've come before me have said, there was the circumcision brigade who came out of the Jewish converts who were saying that unless you were properly circumcised, you weren't a real believer. And, and obviously, we're not talking about that. But the question I'm asking and we can go on to the next slide, 
Who are the dogs in our time? Who are the people who influence us and try to influence us in terms of what we believe and whether or not we depart from the true biblical faith? Notice that in Paul's time, everyone had basically a supernatural view of some sort. So many of the biblical passages were talking about the various gods that the previous occupiers of the land had believed in and, and, and so on. But today, it's a different challenge, isn't it? It's the challenge of secularism. It's the challenge of, of people who are rationalists, who don't believe there is a God. There's no supernatural and so on. Today, only about 30% of people who answer the census call themselves Christian. And a lot of people will say, for example, oh, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And I would, um, particularly after a certain time, I would ask you to think about that, about whether it's possible to actually be a true follower of Jesus without meeting together, as the scripture says. Meeting together is really important in what we get from one another. But of course, less than 10% attend church regularly. We're becoming a a minority as Christians, less than 10% attend church regularly. And with COVID, even though we've recovered somewhat, uh, that's been even more of a challenge. So we're, we're a distinct minority. Today, easily the most popular religion is secular humanism or naturalism. And there are various variants of the new atheism, which Christopher Hitchens, not not. Christopher, our Prime Minister, or Christopher, the, the leader of the opposition who may well become Prime Minister, neither of those Chris's, but Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins are the, 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 the main purveyors of, um, of, of, of rationalism. Um, today, the barking dogs are the prophets of the new atheism, like Hitchens and Dawkins. And here's a quote from Dawkins, for example. This is what he says about us about the people who believe. Religion, can we go on? Yeah, we're on, thank you. Religion, superstition, and irrationalism should, not, should simply not be tolerated. Not only is he saying, you know, we're entitled to our view just as he's entitled to his view, he's saying that our views, the things we do in church and believe fervently, shouldn't even be tolerated by the, by the secular humanists, by, by rationalists. They should be criticised, countered, and challenged by rational argument, especially the indoctrination of children. I was so encouraged, and I'm sorry I can't remember your name or whether you're here, but when the um, woman got up a couple of weeks ago and shared about the sort of reignition of Bible in schools, because, you know, that, that's basically gone. You know, when I was at high school, the most, one of the most secular, nasty boarding schools, state school in, in New Plymouth Boys High School, we used to have a prayer every morning, and we used to sing a hymn, and then when we, when we finished in the evening as boarders, what we were supposed to be doing was doing our homework. We used to all file into the assembly hall and have another prayer and a blessing by the housemaster. And I can still remember some of those prayers, you know, even though I was very anti-Christian. We had this wonderful housemaster who was Irish. And, and I can still remember his, his accent praying that prayer over us at, at night. But those things are all gone. Um, you know, we don't, have, we, don't have, um, we don't have prayer at the beginning of Parliament anymore. 
We don't have uh, in schools, our legal, we, we forget that our legal system is still basically based on the, on, uh, the Christian faith. Our universities, some of our most significant and ho- most highly ranked universities in the world were, were founded as Christian institutions, particularly Harvard. Uh, it's really interesting to look at how far we've, we've regressed, um, in my view, from that. And Paul was very aware of this when he said in, um, in another place in Romans, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So don't be conformed to the world's rationalistic secular view, as I'll expand on in a moment, but, but remain true. And then he said in Colossians again, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Colossians 2.8, see to it that there's no one who makes you captive through philosophy and empty deception in accordance with what? Human tradition. That's what atheism is, human tradition, and in accordance with the elementary principles of the world rather than in accordance with Christ. And just uh, recently when I was walking up the hill by myself the other day, sometimes I'd take my little radio and I was listening to talkback, and one of the talkback um, subjects was, should churches and other institutions still be allowed tax-free deductions? Interesting question. Not, I'm not even saying that I'm thoroughly in favour of, of, um, of the tax-free deduction, but it's, it's, it's just yet another attack. The people who were attacking it were attacking the church and saying, you know, why should these people be allowed to have their charities um, tax-deductible anymore? You know, what do we do? One of my um, great friends, Jeff Fountain, uh, who left New Zealand after working for TSCF and went to um, YWAM, he raises this point that the whole basis of Western civilization, of Western governments, the Western law is still fundamentally based on the, ten- the tenets of biblical Christianity. His, his um, blogs are well worth, um, well worth reading. Right, next, next slide. I've said here that C.S. Lewis clarifies the, this issue for us. And it's unbelievable that he wrote this little book in 1947. And it's still, his little book, Miracles, is still by far the best thing. And I go back to it again and again when I get in a, in a, in a quandary over, over something. He says, he puts it like this very simply. Some people believe that nothing exists except nature. They're called naturalists, Acker atheists or secular humanists. Others believe that there, besides nature, there is something else, as we do. There is a God who made the universe. There is Jesus who died on the cross for us. I think I've told you before, but I have this wonderful friend who's a Zen Buddhist. And he said to me once, when we were on a field exercise together, Richard, you know the difference between you and me is when I meditate, there's no one else there. I'm just looking inside myself. When you pray, you believe there's someone else out there. And we do, don't we? We believe there's a God who hears us and actually listens. C.S. Lewis goes on to say that naturalists believe that that all all what we believe is limited by our five senses. And C.S. Lewis very cunningly says, well, what about our emotions? Where do our emotions fit into our five senses? Good question. But we as supernaturalists, 
believe that there is something else, that there is a God, that miracles are still possible, that when we pray, we've just had one of our, our number who's been in hospital, desperately ill and at, at death's door. And you know what he's doing this weekend? He's, he's, he's had substantial healing. He's not over everything, but he's down in, in Abel Tasman supporting his mates in a, on, on a run because he's a, he's a runner, Steve Silk. I'm talking about, and he's one of the fittest guys in the church. And he's down there, praise God, he's, he's well enough to go down there and have a holiday with the Bardsleys and others. And God's lifted him out of that hospital bed and, and brought him back to, um, to an enjoyable life. And there are other folk here, including uh, my friend here, who's, who's uh, been through that, haven't you? God's done a lot, a, bit, a lot in your life. Praise God. So, n- next slide. We need to be really aware of what I call rationalistic creep. You know, what's happening in our world? What's happening to try and deceive us into believing empty philosophy? Um, The constant undermining of biblical faith, as I said, in our schools um, and and our uh, our legal systems and so on. So takeaway one is, we've had that slide, I forgot it it was there. Takeaway one. So don't accept... The, the, the naturalist answers, the rationalist answers to the great religious questions. The great religious questions are not matters of science, they're matters of faith. You know, do we believe that we all came from hydrogen atoms and through grime and time and slime we evolved into where we are? I'm constantly amazed where on the news you hear these people who've discovered what caused the Big Bang. And, and I always want to ask them, well, well, what was behind that? You know, how did it all begin? And one of the reasons I became a Christian is because it made far more sense to believe that there was a creator God who was behind it all, and he designed it. So it's not, a, not, a, not an irrational universe, it's a designer universe, and he designed us, male and female, and so on, as it goes on to say. I believe it's far more logical and rational to take Dawkins and Hitchens' argument, to believe that that's the way it happened rather than it all just happened accidentally. Now, we're not talking about the scientific details. And take some of the other big questions. You know, does life have any meaning? Does it have any real meaning for us? Who are we? What's our significance as human beings? Does, it, does being a human being have significance? Or is it all totally defined by what's going on around us? Are we, are we washed to and fro by every wind of secular doctrine, to borrow a, a, a biblical phrase. You know, what happens, what happens when we die? Are, are the, is, is death just mean that the bones of my late wife are just in tighter cemetery? Is that all that is left of her? I don't believe that. I, I don't know how and I don't know why, but I believe I'll see her again in heaven. It's real. That makes more sense to believe than it just all finishes, as, as the atheist, as the secular humanist would want us to believe. There are fundamental questions of origins, meaning, values, and by definition, everyone is religious. Every person who, who walks the hallowed halls of Victoria University, where I still work, and, or anywhere else, gives answers to those fundamental questions about, you know, how did life begin, and... And what's the meaning of it? And does it mean anything if we commit ourselves in marriage? And, and what happens when we die? They're not scientific questions. They're religious questions or philosophical questions, if you like. 
and Jesus gives us the answer to those. So takeaway one, don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold as the J.B. Phillips version of that wonderful verse says. Think, let your mind be transformed from within. Read the scriptures. All right, part two. What do you put your confidence in? Philippians 3, 4 to 11. Although myself could, I could boast of ha- as having confidence even in the flesh, if anyone thinks he's confident in the flesh, I have more reason. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is the law found blameless. And he goes on to say, whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss because of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as mere rubbish. This is my term, rubbish, rubbish tip Christianity. And it's actually not original because when I first went to Petone Baptist many years ago, there was a wonderful pastor who just passed away recently called Ivan Howie, who also started Petone Medical Center. And he preached this very memorable sermon called Rubbish Tip Christianity. And I've always remembered it. And I, I look at my own life. You know, I was a, wasn't very confident as a young person, but I went to boarding school and I survived and I was in the top class and I won prizes for debating and I in the first 15 and I was runner-up in the whatever athletics championships there were and then I went to I got a junior national scholarship and I went to university and I got a junior lectureship at university and I've taught there for 52 years and da 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 and and you know I've also had three kids who've all represented New Zealand at different sports and you know and it would and, and I deep down I was probably thinking you're pretty good and Jesus is saying, no, get rid of that. That's not, that's not what you put your confidence in. And a few short years later, I was brought up with a round turn. As some of you know that I had, I lost my dad at 65. I lost, my brother was killed in a car accident at only 29. I lost a baby at four months, and then my wife died of cancer. <laughs> and God had some pretty serious things he had to teach me, and others of you I know I'm not alone in that. And, and I still suffer the consequences of that. You know, my mental health is not always really what it, what it should be or could be. And, and that's partly because of that, that time when I was really angry with God and, and I went through a pretty rough time. Because I had basically, without even being aware of it, put my confidence in all these other things. You know, I was earning reasonable money and I was good at sport and I seemed to succeed academically. But Jesus says, these things are rubbish, or Paul says on his behalf. That's not where our confidence should lie. And one of my challenges to you today is, what do you put your confidence in? Do you put, do you put your confidence in the saving grace of Jesus Christ above all else? Or do you put your confidence in other things? Just as Paul did. You know, he'd done all the right things. He was a Jew. He was circumcised. He was, he'd been a Pharisee and persecuted the Christians and so on. He had more reason to put his confidence in those external things. So it's, 
It's very easy to put your confidence in externals and make your faith an optional extra. And there's a verse I've always remembered because it applied to me during some of those years. 2 Timothy 3, 5. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Do you have a powerful godly faith that, that penetrates right to your core? Or, or are you, is your faith surrounded by a whole lot of props? You know, because that's what mine was until I... I'm not saying God caused all those horrible things to happen, but, and, and I'm not saying that he couldn't have stopped them. And I, don't, I still don't understand that. That's a conundrum I, I probably will never understand. We know that God can heal. We know that God can do miracles. Why he chooses to do in some cases and not in others, I will never know. I had an experience when my late wife was very ill when a, a group of very well-meaning, very hipped-up Pentecostals she was dying and they came round to the house and they prayed and prayed and prayed and yelled and screamed and, and my, my son said to me at the time, he was about 12, he said to me, Dad, well, if that doesn't do it, I don't know what will. <laughs> and in the end, I just had this conviction from God. I went in there and I said, no, guys, that's enough. Um, God's, God's taken her. It's, his, it's her time. So, you know, we, we just have to accept that's a mystery we don't know why in some cases God chooses to heal when he could heal, heal all things. And this is why the supernatural faith is so important because if we didn't believe in miracles, if we didn't believe that there was something that could make us go on, I think we, oh yeah, gosh, you're well ahead of me. Because of the resurrection, Paul could go on despite having to share in the fellowship of his suffering. That's what he calls us. And some of you, some of us, will be, will be forced, if you haven't already, to share in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. We're not be, we might not be asked to, you know, die in the uh, battle in Ukraine or in Israel or, or, or um, you know, or get crucified, but, but there are other things that we might have to go through to share in the, in, in the fellowship of, of his suffering. And that's why I believe this, this next passage on the, on the resurrection is so important. Just read it with me. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, in other words, a, a real miracle, the miracle of all miracles, the miracle on which our faith hangs, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is also in vain. I might as well not even be here and you might as well not be here if he didn't really rise from the dead. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses. That's a legal, a legal term of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he, whom he did not raise. In fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your, listen to this, your faith is worth, worthless and you are still in your sins. So if you don't believe in the re resurrection, that's where you are. What, what use is your faith? You don't believe in miracles. If we have hoped in Christ only in this life, we are, we are of all people most to be pitied. But we're not, are we? But in the fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. So, takeaway two, and I finish here. We must not put 
our confidence in external things like winning scholarships and getting in the Wellington rugby team and going on a tour of New Zealand universities and having kids who win medals and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful and it's important, but that's not where my confidence needs to be. And you need to find those things in your life that you may, in fact, without even thinking about it, be putting your confidence in. Possessions, money, fame, academic achievements, even family. You've got to be aware, you know, yeah, sure. Husbands need to love their wives and wives need to love their husbands and we all need to love our kids uh, and so on. But that's, even those things are not as important as, as Jesus. These things are not wrong in themselves, but they must be dedicated to God and helping with our small part in building his kingdom. Nothing wrong with winning a gold medal, but that should be part of building God's kingdom or, or whatever small thing you do that you, that you take confidence in. So examine yourselves as I've examined myself this week. You know, what are you, what are you putting your confidence in? And are you taking some of your confidence away from Jesus himself? Our confidence can only be in Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And I just finished with, I was reading this morning the, the um, verse in John's Gospel when after his resurrection, or sorry, before his resurrection and many of the disciples were deserting him and Jesus said to Peter, he said, will you also leave me? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You know, there's no one else. If we don't put our faith in Jesus Christ, no other answers to those fundamental, real gut level questions make sense. That's the reason I'm still a Christian after 55 years. Because only the answers of the Bible and only, only the answers of Jesus Christ make sense in terms of, of where my life is going and what I can do. And Peter finished by saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, help us to not listen to those secular humanist atheists rationalist voices that might, may try and drown out our faith in you and help us to put our confidence only in you because you alone, as Peter said, to whom else shall we turn because you have the words of eternal life. Amen.